Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of hepatic encephalopathy found under the gastrointestinal section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 50-year-old man with cirrhosis is brought to the emergency room for altered mental status. He lives at home with his mother, who noted that he was slow in his responses and disoriented. He has a history of alcoholic cirrhosis, and for the past week, he has not eaten much food. His last drink was a day ago. On physical exam, he is noted to be jaundiced with asterixis. His mucous membranes are dry and his capillary refill is delayed. An ultrasound of his abdomen shows ascites. Labs are significant for hyperkalemia and elevated ammonia to 200 micromoles per liter. He has started on lactulose and rifaximin and is admitted to the inpatient unit for further management. Let's continue with an introduction to hepatic encephalopathy. Beginning with the pathogenesis, remember that the mechanism is due to decreased ammonia clearance due to liver dysfunction, and remember that ammonia is normally metabolized in the liver to urea, which is easily excreted. There will then be portosystemic shunts causing blood to bypass the liver, and remember that ammonia is neurotoxic. It crosses the blood-brain barrier and is converted to glutamine, which is an osmolite and promotes swelling of brain cells. This then leads to cerebral edema and conditions associated with hepatic encephalopathy include acute liver failure and cirrhosis, and remember that other complications of cirrhosis include portal hypertension, esophageal varices, and hepatocellular carcinoma. And as a general overview, remember that this is a reversible complication of liver failure characterized by altered mental status and asterixis, and that it is often precipitated by acute stressors such as dehydration or infection. With regards to epidemiology, remember that this occurs in 30-40% to of patients with cirrhosis, and that risk factors include alcohol use and hepatitis. And in terms of the etiology, specific triggers may include dehydration, infection, gastrointestinal bleeding, fluid and electrolyte abnormalities, sedatives, hepatocellular carcinoma, and transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunt, or TIPS. Hepatic encephalopathy is classified by the underlying disease. Patients with type A have underlying acute liver failure. Patients with type B have underlying portosystemic bypass or shunting with preserved liver function. And patients with type C have underlying cirrhosis. Moving on to the presentation, common symptoms will include mood changes, patients who are slow to respond, and unsteadiness. And on exam, one may note signs of liver disease, such as jaundice, ascites, spider angiomata, and palmar erythema. One may also know asterixis, which is flapping tremors of the wrists. And one can also know altered mental status and coma or stupor in severe cases. In terms of further imaging, one should obtain a CT or MRI of the head. This is indicated to rule out intracranial hemorrhage or mass as a cause of the encephalopathy. And specific findings may include cerebral edema. In terms of other studies, One can obtain serum labs, which may demonstrate an increased ammonia, and one should also check a liver function panel, blood urea nitrogen, and electrolytes. And in terms of the differential, make sure to think about other metabolic encephalopathies, such as diabetic ketoacidosis, with a distinguishing factor being that there will be hyperglycemia with ketones in the blood and an anion gap metabolic acidosis. Also think about uremic encephalopathy, with a distinguishing factor being that there will be elevated urea and normal ammonia. And also make sure to think about acute alcoholic intoxication, 
with a distinguishing factor being that there will be elevated blood alcohol levels. And in terms of treatment, non-operative options include correcting the precipitating factor and electrolyte derangements. One can also use lactulose, with the mechanism being that it causes gastrointestinal flora to degrade lactulose into lactic acid and acetic acid. This then results in clearance of the ammonia. This is indicated as treatment and prevention. One can also use rifaximin, with the mechanism being that there will be decreased bacteria that produce ammonia. This is indicated as treatment and prevention alongside lactulose. And complications related to hepatic encephalopathy include persistent learning impairment. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, remember that hepatic encephalopathy is reversible. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to hepatic encephalopathy, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 65-year-old man presents to the emergency department with confusion. The patient is unable to offer a history as he is too confused and is not making sense. His temperature is 98.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.9 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 153 over 89. Pulse is 95 beats per minute, respirations are 18 breaths per minute, and oxygen saturation is 97% on room air. Physical exam is notable for diffuse yellowing of the patient's skin and sclera. His abdomen is distended and non-tender. The patient demonstrates shaking and trembling of his hands when asked to hold them out in front. Lab values are ordered and demonstrate a hemoglobin of 9, hematocrit of 30%, leukocyte count of 4,500 with a normal differential, platelet count of 181,000, an INR of 2.1, serum sodium of 131, chloride of 97, potassium of 3.5, bicarbonate of 25, BUN of 33, glucose of 99, creatinine of 1.9, and calcium of 10.2. Which of the following is the most appropriate initial treatment for this patient? And the answer choices are choice 1, ceftriaxone, choice 2, fresh frozen plasma, choice 3, potassium, choice 4, rifaximin, or choice 5, transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunt. The best answer to this question is choice 4, rifaximin. This patient is presenting with jaundice, abdominal distension and ascites, asterixis, and confusion, which is concerning for a diagnosis of hepatic encephalopathy. Rifaximin is an appropriate initial treatment for this patient. Hepatic encephalopathy occurs in patients with cirrhosis and presents with confusion and asterixis. It occurs secondary to increased ammonia that is not metabolized by the liver, which enters the central nervous system and increases central nervous system glutamine levels. It can be exacerbated by infection, toxic or metabolic stress, and hypokalemia. The management of hepatic encephalopathy is first to treat hypokalemia if present and any underlying infections in addition to lactulose and rifaximin, both of which decrease ammonia levels and reduce symptoms. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Ceftriaxone is the appropriate treatment of spontaneous bacterial peritonitis, which presents with fever and abdominal pain in the setting of cirrhosis. Ceftriaxone should also be given in any patient with a GI bleed who also has cirrhosis to reduce the incidence of spontaneous bacterial peritonitis and bacteremia. Choice 2. 
Fresh frozen plasma can be administered if a patient is acutely bleeding, such as bleeding esophageal varices, and also has cirrhosis and a coagulopathy. It would not be given prophylactically to this patient despite his abnormal INR. Choice 3. Potassium repletion is the most appropriate initial step in management for hepatic encephalopathy if the patient is hypokalemic. This patient's normal potassium level does not warrant repletion. Choice 5. Transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunt is a possible treatment that prevents re-bleeding of esophageal varices as it bypasses the high-resistance liver. However, by bypassing the liver, it can actually worsen hepatic encephalopathy as blood flow is diverted past the liver, and thus it cannot metabolize ammonia. Finally, a bullet summary. Rifaximin is an appropriate initial treatment in the management of hepatic encephalopathy. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 56-year-old woman with a history of alcoholic cirrhosis and recurrent esophageal varices who recently underwent transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunt placement is brought to the emergency room by her daughter due to confusion and agitation. Starting this morning, the patient has appeared sleepy, has been difficult to arouse, and has been slow to respond to questions. Her temperature is 97.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.4 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 122 over 81. Pulse is 130 beats per minute. Respirations are 22 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. She repeatedly falls asleep and is combative during the exam. Laboratory values are notable for a potassium of 3.0 milliequivalents per liter. The patient is given normal saline with potassium. Which of the following is the most appropriate treatment for this patient? And the answer choices are... Choice 1, ciprofloxacin. Choice 2, lactulose. Choice 3, natalol. Choice 4, protein-restricted diet. Or choice 5, rifampin. The best answer to this question is choice 2, lactulose. This patient's clinical presentation is consistent with hepatic encephalopathy given her recent TIPS procedure, agitation, and confusion. The most appropriate treatment for this condition is lactulose. Hepatic encephalopathy involves reversible neurologic impairment due to liver dysfunction. HE is associated with increased blood ammonia concentration. Patients with TIPS are at higher risk of developing HE due to blood being redirected away from the liver, which leads to higher circulating blood ammonia levels. HE treatment is aimed at increasing ammonia excretion and reducing ammonia production. Patients should first have an electrolyte abnormality is repleted, in particular hypokalemia as hypokalemia by itself can exacerbate this condition. Appropriate subsequent treatment can involve rifaximin or lactulose, which decrease gut absorption of ammonia. Let's also discuss whether the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Ciprofloxacin may be prescribed in patients with cirrhosis for spontaneous bacterial peritonitis prophylaxis or to treat infectious diarrhea. Choice 3. Natalol may be prescribed in patients with cirrhosis and low-grade varices that have not bled but are at risk for hemorrhage. This will prevent the incidence of rebleeding. Choice 4. Protein-restricted diet is not recommended in HE since it may result in malnutrition and predisposed to infection. Choice 5. Rifampin is not indicated in the treatment of hepatic encephalopathy. However, rifaximin is, which is an antibiotic that destroys gut flora. Finally, a bullet summary. Lactulose and rifaximin are appropriate treatments for hepatic encephalopathy. That's all for this review about hepatic encephalopathy. We hope that was helpful.
This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session from MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the Med Bullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.